Let me share with you this morning something that uh, someone shared with me a while back, and I'll just read what they wrote. Um, I like this story. They said, years ago, when our kids were young, we were out at a themed restaurant with TVs all over the walls playing cartoons with no sound. Our youngest son, who was about four at the time, had his eyes glued to the TV screen. He was watching a continuous loop of Roadrunner cartoons, watching as Wiley Coyote strapped on rocket-propelled roller skates or shot himself out of a cannon or launched himself from a giant slingshot in pursuit of the elusive Roadrunner. After watching intently for quite some time, he had an epiphany. Without taking his eyes off the screen, he quietly announced to our family, no matter what he does, he's never going to get the chicken. (laughs) I like that. No matter what he does, he's never going to get the chicken. And he writes, he said, isn't that the human storyline? No matter what we do, we're never going to beat sin and death. No matter how many self-help books we read, no matter how many promises we make to ourselves or to others, sin continues to wreak havoc in our careers, our relationships, and our good times. No matter how many peace treaties are signed, no matter how many relief efforts are launched, we still can't fix What's wrong with the world? And no matter how many vitamins we take, no matter how much we exercise and eat right, no matter how many advances we make in medicine, we still just can't beat death. He concludes, no matter what he does, he's never going to get the chicken. Every human being since Adam and Eve has has lived their own version of this story. You've lived yours, I've lived mine. But there was a different version. And that's what Paul is talking about in the book of Colossians. It's it's the version of the human life that Jesus lived. This was a truly death-defying version. It is the sin-conquering, perfect life. Love your enemies, walk on water, expel demons, heal the sick, and conquer death version of the human life. And the great thing about this unique version of our story is that Jesus says, it can be yours, my victory over sin and death. I am offering to you if you will believe on my name. We call this the gospel. And I want to ask a question this morning before we get into our text, because I think people nowadays, as they always have, are considering, you know, what if it's not true? What if this is made up? What if the New Testament, the Bible, is just a collection of of fictional stories created by men and women over the years? What if? The thing with that question, though, that also has to be considered at the same time is that those who would have created these, let's call them fantasy stories, gave their lives because of their lies. you got to think about that, right? These messages in the New Testament, if they're false, not only did these folks write a bunch of lies, 
They died for those lies. I like what Gregory Kokel, a theologian, says about this. <laughs> the basic rule with lying is this. Invent a story that benefits you, not one that gets you beaten, whipped, stoned, crucified, or beheaded. So they weren't making it up. They were speaking the truth about what they had seen with their own eyes, the truth about what they had heard from the Holy Spirit, and they were preaching the truth about this God who came from heaven to earth to save mankind from the foes that she could never defeat on her own. And this victory is ours if we put faith in His holy name. I want to cut to the chase this morning on your outline. I've got some very simple ideas because the text this morning is about simple ideas. The simplest one is this. I know you've heard this before. It is that Christ provides our salvation. In other words, you don't provide your salvation. It is not your righteous acts. It is not because you're generally a good guy or a sweet lady that you're saved. Christ provides our salvation. Amen? You know, Paul says this in verse 22. He says, he, God, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body. God made you right because of Jesus, not because of how great you are. But then there's this other facet that we're going to see in the text this morning. Not only does he provide our salvation, but Christ provides our sanctification. In other words, not only does he rescue you from the fires of hell, but Christ changes you. Your life is under new management when you accept Jesus, and he powers an amazing transformation in your life. As Paul says, his energy, talking about his own life, it's his energy which powerfully works in me. And so Jesus is the one making good things happen in my life, changing me into a new sort of person. So he saved you, but that's not the end of the line. It's not like you're crossing the tape at the end of a mirror. Oh, I'm saved now. Salvation is the beginning of this beautiful life in his story, the one true story. And he begins to make you into a brand new person using the indwelling presence of his, his spirit. We are citizens of heaven. Because of Jesus, we are adopted daughters and sons of God. And it starts the day we surrender to him as our Lord. He purchased our salvation and... He powers our sanctification. You guys like that show American Pickers on TV? I don't know anyone who's seen it that doesn't like it. It's a good show. It's a good show. So these guys, you know, Frank and, and uh, Mike, they go around all over America, uh, sometimes to cities, oftentimes in really rural, remote locations. And pretty much every show, they're digging through piles of junk. You know, an old decrepit barn or literally a junkyard or an old antique shop off the beaten path. And, and, and you see them surrounded by piles of rust and dirt. And they're like just digging through these piles of stuff, hoping that with their expert eyes, they might find something of value. And of course they do. That makes for good TV. They find something 
of value. And their idea is, 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 is we can buy this thing of value, and, but, but that's not where it stops, right? I mean, they buy those articles, and it may be an old motorcycle that they found in pieces covered in rust. It may be an old circus sideshow banner from the 1800s that you can't even tell what it is anymore. And they buy these items from these junkyards, essentially, and then they, they use their expertise or that of others to restore it to its glory, to help it become what it was supposed to be originally. And isn't that the gospel? Isn't that what Jesus is doing? I mean, you could think of it like this. From heaven's point of view, heaven, place of absolute perfection, flawless, that God would look out at our world and just see a pile of junk. All the problems, all the wars, the pornography, the drug abuse, the way people mistreat each other, all the sin, all the shame, and he could just be so disgusted. I want nothing. To... No, but it's not the story, is it? He came, and he dug through this planet, and he searched, and he found you. He found me. He purchased us. He didn't get a bargain, did he? With his own blood, he purchased us. At great cost, he purchased us. And that's the beginning of our story. With his expertise and his spirit, he is redeeming and remaking. He is he's, he's restoring the glory that we were always meant to have. And I love that story, and we're going we're gonna to look at now what Paul says. So Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24, listen to this. Paul says, I'm glad, a little personal testimony, I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you, the whole truth, the whole story. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people, for God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Here's the big reveal. Christ lives in you. Say that with me. Christ lives in... That's the secret that was hidden for generations. This gives you assurance of sharing His glory. So, we tell others about Christ, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work. And struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. So, <laughs> turns out, we aren't just his reclamation project. We are God's restoration project. Well, he is working in us. 
So being a disciple isn't just like, well, checking a box. What is your, what is your religion? I am a you know, Hindu or Buddhist or this or that, or I'm a Christian. No, being a disciple is following Jesus. It's following the master. And I'm calling this lesson this morning proof of purchase because when Paul talks about this, when you are saved, it shows up in your life. When you are redeemed, your lifestyle will manifest the power, the redemptive power of Christ in your life. It did in Paul's life. It does in the life of every disciple of Jesus Christ. So on your outline, you got proof of purchase this morning. Actions, you know this, speak louder than words. My lifestyle demonstrates the reality of my redemption. Well, Paul talks about his own story. You could talk about yours. For him, uh, there were a lot of trials. There were a lot of painful moments in the ministry of Paul, and those trials were kind of a proof of purchase. They showed that Paul really had accepted the lordship of Christ. Paul really was following Jesus. I mean, you think about this guy's life story. Um, how many times was he, was he lashed? I think five different times he received the legal limit in the Roman Empire of 40 minus one lashes, 39 lashes on his back. I think about the time he was, was nearly stoned to death. I think about the time he was, the times, <laughs> he, plural, he was imprisoned for Jesus. The time he was shipwrecked for Jesus. The time he was bitten with a venomous stake for Jesus. And even as he writes these words in Colossians, I mean, I think you could, I think you could accurately say he's writing these words from death row. I mean, he's a prisoner of the Roman Empire. And the only punishment that Rome had ultimately was going to be the question for him was would, would they kill him or would they set him free this is Paul's story and so trials it turns out this is on your outline as well trials prove whether or not you actually believe what you say you believe we'll see it in the way you live Paul got it before coming to Jesus, he had been a religious terrorist, essentially. I mean, I think, right? He, he, he arrested innocent people, sent innocent people off to be imprisoned or put to death. But Jesus got a hold of him. Jesus saw him. And despite all of that ugliness and all of that violence, Jesus saw something of value, rescued him, called him and was changing him and so now because of this he's going through some trials he's going through some difficult times but listen to what Paul says about those he says in Romans eight nineteen, I consider that our present sufferings are what they are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us and maybe this is the word you need to hear this morning because life is hard you are going through a tough patch right now. Hear this word, what you're going through. And Paul doesn't minimize it. Paul doesn't say it's not real. He doesn't say you're not really suffering. He never says that. He just says this doesn't compare to this. Our current trials and suffering doesn't compare to the glory that's waiting for us in Jesus Christ. You see, I can say 
a lot of things. But if I hold on to those things, if I build my life on those things, even when it gets tough, that demonstrates what I truly believe. And so the text speaks to us about this, about this sanctification process, this transformation process, this growth from the old Gordon to the new Gordon, from the old you to the new you. It speaks to us about how Christ has only purchased us with his blood, but he is actually in the restoration business over time in our lives. Listen again to verse 29. Paul says in verse 29, that's why I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. So who's putting in the work here? Is it Paul? Is it Jesus? It's both. It's both. It's Christ's mighty power at work within Paul, but Paul has a part too, right? He says it's, it's working and struggling. So you've got this amazing friendship that develops between Paul and the Lord and this amazing partnership. And that's the story of every disciple, right? So if you're going to grow, Jesus has got some questions for you. Here's one that he asked Paul, and here's one that from time to time he asks us. How about this? Will you struggle for me? Will you struggle for me? Paul said, yeah, absolutely. Because this stuff doesn't compare to what I have in you. Another question, will you listen to me? comes out of verse 24. Will you listen to the, what Paul says is the, the whole counsel or the fullness of the Word of God? And, and I think this kind of means, you know, when, when God, and I'm reading the Bible, and God tells me something cool, or there's a passage that just delights me and makes me happy, I say, Amen, Lord. And when I'm reading the Bible and, and God tells me something, I mean, there's a passage that confronts me, that challenges me, that is uncomfortable, that I don't like. I say, amen, Lord. I want it all. I don't want a partial gospel. I don't want the partial truth. I want the fullness of the word. I want the whole counsel of God. And that's, I'll just be honest with you, that's why I just kind of get nauseous when I'm watching TV and I, I, I or I'm, at the bookstore, and I see some of this health and wealth gospel stuff, you know, where God just wants you to be happy. Just wants you to get that, that bigger house and that promotion at work. And hey, it's not like God wants you to be unhappy, but God has a much bigger plan for your life than you get in a parking spot close to Walmart, right? <laughs> or getting a raise at the end of the year. God's primary calling for you is not for you to be happy, it's for you to be holy, and so we preach the whole counsel of God, the fullness, Paul says, of God's word. Give you a little example of what I'm talking about. So I love this verse. Everybody loves this verse. It gets on bumper stickers. It gets on t-shirts. It gets quoted probably more than about any verse in the New Testament. It is that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. I can, and usually it's like, hey, I can, I can run faster I can get a higher score on the test. I can build my career. I can do all things through Christ your three. Okay. But what about the whole council? What about the two verses before that? What about exactly what Paul is talking about? Starting in verse 11. Paul says, 
I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ may want me to go through a time of want, a time of hunger, a time of struggle, and I can do that because his mighty powers. God may send me through a season of abundance and, and physical blessings and health and smiles, and I can do that too. That same power is at work in whatever circumstance. That's what Paul says. So look, there's a bigger story than my happiness, than your happiness. The bigger story is is God is remaking me into the image of Christ. He's making me holy. And Jesus also, another question, Jesus wants to know, will you love my family? I don't know if you noticed in that passage we read a moment ago, church, 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 church. Why am I doing this? For the church. It's for the church. And look, it, it is easy, it is convenient to make fun of the church, to point out the mistakes of the church, to criticize the church. And that's kind of a pastime of some people these days. The church is the bride of Christ. <laughs> Jesus loves the church with all of our weaknesses full of sinners. I mean, like we've said before, it's a hospital for sinners, not a mausoleum for the saints. And Paul says, what I do, I do for you. I do for the church. You see, the church is where this Reformation project happens. At Preston Crest, lives are being changed. <laughs> Just last week, people were using their vacation days and their money to go to some of the poorest places around because God's gotten a hold of them. And they're part of his body. They're part of the church. Finally, the Lord wants to know, will you share me with others? Will you keep this secret to yourself? Or will you share me with others? Jesus died for sinners. He was raised for sinners. He died for your co-workers. He died for your boss who's kind of a jerk. <laughs> he died for that neighbor that lets their dog poop on your yard. He died, <laughs> he died for everybody. And so Paul says this in verse 28. He says, so we tell others about Christ. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, so I tell others about Christ. Look, I am an apostle. I am an official minister. Look at my business card of the church. No. It's we. It's the people of God. It's the brothers and sisters who've been redeemed by Christ. We share the story with others. Right? Isn't that what we're called to do? And I know, look, a lot of your friends who don't know Christ, they're not interested in a Bible study. I bet you some of them are. Not all of them, but I'll tell you this. Unbelievers may not read the Bible, but they read you. Right? They're watching you. I'll tell you a little bit more about Guatemala. I mean, we just did a lot of stuff, and, you know, we were medical care and 
providing free medicine and putting glasses on people and pulling teeth that were hurting and taking food to people's homes and construction projects. It was all, all really, really good stuff. The most important thing, though, is, is that they know the gospel. And hopefully all that good stuff, it was whetting their appetite for Jesus. And our mission field, it's not over there somewhere, not thousands of miles away. We don't cross the sea, we cross the street every day. This is, our, this is where Jesus put you, and we love all these projects. And we're going to do this, you know, year after year to the remotest parts of the earth. But this is our mission field. Amen? This is our mission field. This is where you live. This is where we share the story 357 days out of the year or whatever, you know? So we're going to do that. People need a ride. People need a meal. People need a hug. Mostly people need Jesus. One plug here before I kind of wrap up. So, friends speak, this is that time of year where it's not really ramping up yet, but it is about the floodgates are about to open. Friends speak is where we sit down. As you heard, uh, they're doing in Athens, Greece, right? At the church there, you heard Dino with that beautiful accent share what they're doing over there. They got all these refugees coming from the Muslim world. We don't necessarily have... Uh, refugee, I think we have some here, but mostly just international people here working on their PhD, working on their master's up at UTD, down at SMU, Southwestern Health Center, something like that, and they want to practice their English. And so for years, we've been, absolutely, we want to build a friendship with you, one-on-one relationship, and that's what we do in Friends Speak, but we're going to use the gospel to help you learn English, and it is amazing what God has done with this over the year. And we, we know what's about to happen because it happens every year about this time of the year. All these folks come over mainly from China, mainly from Taiwan, and we have more harvest than we have workers. And so we're trying to get as many people this year to, to say yes to building this friendship with someone, helping them with their English, loving on them, and, and sharing the gospel. So if the Spirit is touching you to do that, do it. Do it. Potluck on Saturday night. We're going to hear some stories about that, learn some more about it too. So show up at the potluck. Been a while since I've been at a legit church potluck, so I'm kind of excited about that. Right? I just finished by asking, what about you? Jesus came to this world dark with sin and he saw you he saw you <laughs> he picked you I think I can do something with that one I think I can do something with her I love that, that man I love that woman and he, he bought you with his blood and he's got big plans for you if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus you could do that this morning You can be baptized in the name of Jesus, sins washed away, receiving the presence of the Holy Spirit. Let me say one more thing, because I was just thinking about this this morning at first service. You're talking about the whole counsel of God, right? Talking about, I want to follow all of it. And I don't mean this as a criticism. I hope it's received in in a good spirit. But I know there are a lot of community churches around that... Uh, you know, may have thousands of people or whatever and all this stuff. And, and it drives me nuts, though, when, <laughs> when someone is ready to come to Christ and they're like, okay, our baptism day is in three months. 
Sign, make sure you sign up for that. Okay. But in the Bible, that's not the way it worked, right? <laughs> you know, the Bible is like, what, the Philippian jailer in the book of Acts. That very night, he and his family were baptized. Or, or the Ethiopian eunuch, hey, there's water. Why can't we stop the chariot right now? I want to be baptized. And Philip's like, you bet. What about Paul himself? Acts chapter 22, 16. He's telling his conversion story. And there's this dude named, named Ananias that shows up and says, quote, what? are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized in the name of Jesus. Ananias didn't say, hey, here, you know, in, in Damascus, we're going to have a baptismal service in a couple of months. And so, hey, I love them. I love our brothers and sisters at community churches. But the whole counsel of God, if you're feeling a spirit-fueled desire to respond to Christ, do it today. You know, do it now. Maybe you just need prayers. We'd love to help you with whatever it is you need this morning. Let's be staying. Let's worship together.